Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We are going to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Uh, The title of this message is The Pain of Pursuing Praise. And uh, you'll see see why as we go through the passage, but uh, I want you guys to think about times in your life where you have tried to impress someone else. Uh, Maybe it was for something like a uh, job interview that you really, really wanted to impress the person that would hopefully hire you and and give you a job, and uh, that would be something that you'd want. You'd say, man, I really want to impress this person. Uh, I think back humorously of the times when, uh, you know, you try and impress a prospective boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, I can think back to my 10th grade year. Uh, I had gone to a music camp uh, at the same place where I ended up going to college uh, down in California. And, uh, and it was, you know, a great week of camp. There was tons of kids there. Uh, but most of the boys all had their eyes on, on one girl. And uh, she could sing, and she could play the piano, and she could play some other instrument. And so everyone thought that she was just the greatest. And so guys did everything that they could to try and impress her. And uh, there was one uh, guy, one of my good friends, uh, that tried to impress her by buying her Dippin' Dots ice cream. And, uh, you know, of all the incredible feats you could do to prove how great you would be, uh, you know, Dippin' Dots ice cream, it's not the worst uh, but it definitely didn't quite do the job. She, she wasn't impressed with it. When it comes to our lives, uh, we can pursue praise, you know, sometimes in a healthy way where we don't do things specifically to uh, derail people from liking us or, or trying to get people to not think well of us, um, you know, you might think of uh, things like hygiene, where you would want to shower regularly. That way you don't uh, smell like uh, there, there's a, you said a dumpster fire or a landfill fire down, uh, down you said, in a Freda area. Yeah, well, you don't want to smell like that. You want to, uh, to an extent, uh, pursue praise that you don't smell like a landfill fire. Uh, but at the same time, there can be an unhealthy way to seek others' approval others praise. And uh, we're going to look at an instance in the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, where there's one person we're going to talk about that did not unhealthily pursue praise. And there was one person that did. Uh, We're going to start off in this verse in Acts 8 and verse number 5. It says this, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Let's pray, and uh, we will dive right into this evening's message. Dear Lord, uh, we want to thank you for uh, just being so good to us. And uh, Lord, we ask as we um, study your word this evening, uh, God, that you would just give me the words to say, uh, Lord, that you would give me peace. And uh, Lord, as we, as we study this together, that we would be motivated to follow you and find our identity in you. 
We love you, God, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So a little bit of background on what's taking place in Acts chapter 8. Uh, right before this is a description of a huge persecution of the church that had just begun. Uh, at this point, it was the worst it had ever been so far for Christians. Uh, homes were now being invaded by currently Saul, would later become saved Saul, or uh, the Greek name, the Apostle Paul. And apostles and believers had already been arrested by the ruling uh, Jewish religious leaders at least four times. Uh, so now people are beginning to go to prison and beginning to really feel some of this persecution uh, for being Christians. And into this chapter comes a man known as Philip. And he's the one we referenced in verse number five. And Philip had been nominated as one of the church's first deacons, uh, one of those servants. Um, and uh, he was nominated as one of those deacons along with Stephen, who had just been murdered in chapter 7 by the Jewish religious leaders. Stephen was the one that gave that great sermon and, and really kind of outlined all through the Old Testament uh, to the Sanhedrin. He was like, hey, you guys know about Moses, you know about Abraham, you know about David, uh, you know how important it is uh, to, to follow God, to obey his word, and you guys killed Jesus, and you really messed up. You need to follow Jesus and accept him. And uh, they weren't so happy about that, particularly uh, the whole believing in Jesus thing. And they took him out and outside of the city and stoned him. And uh, you can see there at the beginning of uh, chapter 8 and verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death, or he was presiding over that death. Now, Philip had a similar testimony to Stephen. So everything we would read about Stephen and how he had great faith, all of that would also apply to Philip. Uh, he was a man of good reputation. Uh, he was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. There's something kind of unique about him in particular uh, as it relates to this early church. So obviously we know uh, that Jesus was a Jew and, and all of his uh, immediate disciples and followers were Jews. But at this time in Israel, there weren't only Jews who kept a lot of the same traditions and laws and customs uh, that they would have had for many centuries. But ever since the time that Greece had kind of become a world power and had taken over this area of Palestine or Israel, uh, there were some Jews that, though they were uh, pure-blood Jews in the sense of they hadn't intermarried with any other people groups, they had adopted many of the customs and the habits of the Greeks. And so uh, you'll read even in uh, Acts chapter 6 where it says, uh, it talks about the Grecians and the Hebrews. These Grecians would be different than the Greeks. So the Greeks would be those of Greek ancestry. The Grecians would be those Jews that had for several generations now kind of adopted some of the Greek habits, Greek customs, they were still Jews, but they were Hellenistic Jews is what they were called. And Philip was one of these. Philip, obviously, would be the name of Alexander the Great's father. It's not a uh, Jewish name. It's not a Hebrew name. It's a Grecian name. And so Philip was someone that was, uh, he had a good reputation. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, but he came from not a very uh, strict Jewish family. He came from a Hellenistic Jewish family. And so uh, when the problem arose in Acts chapter 6, of when people were tending to the widows, when they were uh, giving them food and helping them out with things that they needed, the Grecian Jews' widows were being neglected, that people weren't helping out their widows because they were kind of different than all of the true Jews. And so Philip was one of these people that were brought along that he was a Grecian Jew, and so he was able to help his people that were being neglected. And we can read about some of the miracles that took place that that he had a part in. Miracles including casting out demons and healing paralyzed people and people that couldn't walk. Uh, God's hand was on Philip in a huge way. But one one of his friends, one of the people that he served alongside with, Stephen, had just been killed. And uh, you can read at the end of Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and it says, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So at this point, the church has been scattered. Saul's persecution and him attacking the church and believers and Christians has made there be a huge dispersal from Jerusalem. This is a little bit uh, funny, or there's some divine providence happening here. Many of us would know Acts 1 and verse number 8, where Jesus, before he left, told the disciples that ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And while the apostles and the believers had mainly been in Jerusalem, and there were thousands that had been saved there, there really hadn't been a huge gospel witness yet that had gone out to all of these different areas that Jesus had spoken about. Well, now, through the persecution of Saul, God has now orchestrated it that the gospel would go to these different areas. It's kind of God going, okay, if you don't do it of your own volition, I will help you out along the way. And though it came at, at a cost, the cost of persecution, the word now went out. You can see that in verse number four. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And man, I love the boldness of these early Christians that they just had to leave their homes, their city where they had lived And now they went, and even though they were scattered, even though there was persecution and hardships that came because of their belief in Jesus, wherever they went, they kept on telling. And man, what an encouragement to us. We have it so easy in the day and age in which we live, in the country that we live, that we're able to tell people about Jesus. That we're even able to tell people, hey, we meet at 4334 Joanne Drive. There are so many places in the world, even right now, where you couldn't tell someone where your church meets. And we have that privilege and that opportunity. Let's not squander it. And uh, man, that's one of the reasons that we do all of these into the city outreaches. That's one of the reasons why we do, uh, you know, even the Grant County Fair outreach of, it's just a little something of giving someone a water bottle and letting them know about our, our community Sunday coming up. But man, it's, it's a simple, it's a little thing that we can do and we don't have to go through any of the persecution that the early church went through. So then we come to this verse in particular. 
that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He comes to the city and uh, it mentions some different things that took place. Uh, In verse number six, it says, the people with one accord, everybody together gave heed. They listened to those things that Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. It says, for unclean spirits, demons, crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies or those that were paralyzed and that were lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. Don't you know that there is great joy that comes when God is working in a place and in a people? Uh, that's, that's part of the reason why we do what we do, that there would be joy in Moses Lake because people know that they have a relationship with God and that they have a home in heaven and that they have a new family that they serve the Lord alongside. However, as you might have guessed from the title, not everything went as great as it does in these first couple of verses. And it all starts when we meet the sorcerer of Sebast. So this would be the city in Samaria that Philip came to. The city of Sebast in the country or the region, uh, in kind of an American mindset, in the state of Samaria, you have the city of Sebast. And particularly this man named Simon. It says, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out or or proclaiming that he himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So here you have this person that uh, scripture talks about, this man was involved in witchcraft, in sorcery. Now, what's kind of interesting is the word that we get uh, from the New Testament for magic or sorcery would be the Greek word pharmakia. Uh, It's not unlike at all our word pharmacy or pharmaceutical. And uh, then as well as nowadays, uh, oftentimes things that are interrelated with drug abuse uh, tended to have huge effects on the world of the demonic. And so this person, Simon, uh, was kind of the premier drug dealer, if you will, of Sebast. This was a person that uh, through whatever things that he did, the Bible mentions, uh, that he bewitched them with sorceries and, uh, and signs and things that he had done. He tricked them and they all thought, this guy is so great. Look at the incredible power that he has. Simon the sorcerer. But we see in verses 12 and 13 that Simon learned about Jesus. It says in verse number 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Don't you know this evening that the gospel can reach anyone? 
for the person that maybe is strung out on drugs, the person that's dealing drugs, the person that's never done drugs once in their life, for the person that uh, you know has a foul cursing mouth, for the person that's good and proper and has never said a curse word, the gospel works for everybody. And even those that were wrapped up in themselves and proclaiming their greatness and their power and bewitching and, and using sorcery on other people, even they can be saved. Uh, as we come into this time kind of leading up to Community Sunday, telling other people about the gospel, realize that there is no one outside the reach of God's power. There is no one that's too far gone. If the thief dying on the cross for his crimes could be saved, if Saul, the great persecutor of the church, could be saved, if Peter, who denied the Lord, could be saved, if Simon the sorcerer can be saved, anyone can. There is no one off limits to the salvation of the Lord. And it's kind of interesting here that uh, Simon, who used to which these other people is now amazed. Uh, here it's uh, used wondered. He now wonders at the signs that Philip is doing, just like he used to bewitch or trick the people. Uh, it's kind of cool here in, in my study, uh, in verses 9 and 11, the word uh, here in English, bewitched, comes from uh, the Greek word exostami. Uh, it kind of literally means to knock you off of your feet. And uh, the same word that's used there, uh, that he bewitched the people of Samaria, he had bewitched them with sorceries, is the same Greek word down in verse number 13, where it says, Simon continued with Philip, he, he walked with him, he traveled with him, and wondered. So just like the old sorceries and the old tricks used to really knocked the feet out from under, used to amaze the people of Samaria. Now Simon is amazed at what God can do, and specifically what God is doing through Philip. If that was where it ended, we'd all be very happy. It'd be a good day, but we can see in verses 14 through 24 that Simon has a little bit of an identity crisis. And I don't mean that he grew out a mullet and got a motorcycle. It's not, it's not a midlife crisis. It's really an identity crisis. It says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right with God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken 
come upon me. Now, there's a lot here in this passage, so we're going to go little bit by little bit. So the apostles uh, who have been in Jerusalem, they were pretty much the only group of Christians that hadn't actually been forced out of Jerusalem uh, due to the persecution. So they hear about what God is doing down in Samaria. Now, as we've mentioned before, pretty much at this point, uh, the church is not a Gentile uh, and Jewish entity. It's pretty much just the Jews at this point. And uh, there's even those that would be the the Hellenistic Jews, the Grecian Jews uh, that are still completely Jewish, but don't always act like Jews. Uh, That's pretty much everything that had been there. They hadn't really reached out to a lot of the non-Jewish people. Now, if you'll remember, pastors preached on John chapter 4 many, many times. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The Samaritans, several centuries before, uh, were Jewish people that had intermarried with a lot of uh, the people groups that were in Palestine, that were in, uh, in the region of Israel, and they had adopted a lot of their false worship, a lot of their gods, and, uh, and so there was a huge rift that happened between the Samaritans and the Jews. They viewed them as half-breeds. They called them dogs. Uh, It was just, there was huge animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. That's why it was so shocking to the apostles when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria, that he went and he brought the gospel to a city that was about five to 10 miles away from this city, where Philip now comes. So Jesus had already brought the gospel to the Samaritans. It hadn't spread around uh, much at this point, or at least not to this particular city. But now the apostles and the church hear about what God's doing in Samaria. And so the apostles say, we've got to go down and check it out. So they come, and uh, Peter and John come, and they see something that's kind of odd. It's pointed out in the passage they, they were saved, they believed, they were baptized, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. And uh, as you would know, the Holy Spirit indwells us at salvation. Uh, he came down first at, at Pentecost and uh, came down on the believers then. And then as people accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of them. But there was something unique here. And uh, there are a couple of reasons that, uh, that people have mentioned that could be why uh, they came when they laid their hands on them, when the apostles laid their hands on, uh, on the people of Samaria that believed. One of these would be that uh, the authority would come from the church, uh, that they would say, hey, these are one of us, that this isn't some rival Samaritan church. There's not Jewish church and Samaritan church. We are all one now. And it brings kind of this reconciliation that where before people hated each other because of their ancestry, because of their race, that now God has made them one through Christ Jesus. And uh, another thought that has come would be that the Samaritans would know, hey, we belong to their faith that it wasn't that the Samaritans kind of new religion that they had made when they had intermarried with other people groups. Uh, It wasn't their religion 
That was the true religion. But as Jesus mentioned in John chapter four, where he told the woman at the well, uh, he says, you do not know what you worship. Speaking directly of the Samaritans, he says, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. They had been given the scriptures. And even though they didn't follow them completely, they knew who the one true God was. They hadn't added other gods. Uh, They hadn't added other things into the worship of God like the Samaritans had. So here you have all of this taking place. The Samaritans receive the Holy Ghost, but we see that Simon does something. Simon sees that this gift of miracles that comes through the Holy Spirit, uh, the same miracles, by the way, that had dethroned Simon, all the people saw that Uh, Philip was casting out demons, that Philip was healing those uh, that had palsy and those that were lame that couldn't walk. They saw everything that Philip had done as he was preaching Jesus. And so then they turned to Jesus and to Philip instead of Simon. And now in the same way, Simon sees, hey, now the Holy Spirit is going to all of these people in this area. All of these people have the same Holy Spirit, the same power That Philip did. Simon then tries to purchase this power from the apostles. Who have shown that they have a higher office than Philip. So Philip obviously, he isn't an apostle. He would be called an evangelist. He would be uh, one that would go around preaching the gospel and helping to plant churches. Uh, But he's not an apostle. And particularly as it relates to the story, uh, Philip had not been the one that gave the Holy Spirit to the people of Samaria. He wasn't the one that did that. Peter and John were. So for Simon, the sorcerer, who used to amaze everyone with his amazing acts and the things that he did, now he wanted to get the power that not even the person that dethroned him had. He's trying to get above where Philip was. So Peter then strongly rebukes Simon. He says, thy money perish with thee. He says, basically, your money, may your money die, may you die with it. Uh, He's really rebuking him strongly. You know, I've never had pastor tell me, You die and your money die with you. It could be because I haven't offered to buy the Holy Spirit to give to whoever I want. Uh, But this is a strong rebuke from Peter. And if you'll remember what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, uh, when they tried to, uh, Peter phrased it, you have lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit with what you've done. Uh, Man, there is a seriousness that comes with viewing the spiritual with what is God's as mundane or fleshly. We should have a huge respect for the things of God. It's not something that we're flippant about. This is something that's serious. It was serious for Ananias and Sapphira. It was serious for Simon the sorcerer here. So Peter strongly rebukes Simon indignant that Simon would want to prostitute God's free gift to all who would believe. He says, hey, this is God's 
free gift that he's giving to them, his very presence, who he is, he is giving to these people freely. And you're trying to one-up someone else. We can see that here in this verse. Uh, Repent therefore of thy wickedness, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive, I, I notice, I see it, I can discern it. Thou art in the gall of bitterness. Uh, this word gall here would uh, kind of be taken from a word that would be a poisonous plant. He says, you are poisoned by bitterness in your soul. He says, and in the bond of iniquity, he says, literally, it's, it's chaining you. You're in bonds. You're in, uh, you know, nowadays we have handcuffs. You're, you're handcuffed to iniquity. Uh, this word here uh, taken from a compound word that basically means no righteousness. He says, you are poisoned by your bitterness and it's resulting in you being chained without any righteousness. We know Simon was saved because it mentions that he believed, he was baptized, he had been continuing with Philip, but he had begun to find, or really for the longest time, he had found his identity, who he was, his purpose in his miracles, in being called the great power of God, of the people all following him. And now it's showing up, this bitterness at Philip. And that's why he is trying really to kind of one-up Philip. And so Peter rebukes him, and then thankfully Simon repents. He says, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Uh, Where many times in scripture we read about people that are rebuked, uh, that God tells them, hey, you messed up, and they try and excuse themselves. Uh, I can think even of Adam and Eve where Adam goes, the woman that thou gavest me, she, she gave it to me and I did eat. And Eve's like, the snake told me I could eat it, uh, where they're just trying to pass it off, where Simon here is repentant. And that part of it's good. But I see here a couple of lessons and a couple of quick applications that we'll make and then we'll be done this evening. And the first question is, where is our identity found? For Simon, for the longest time, it was in people's praise and adulation of him. If people were happy with him, if they liked him, if they said good things about him, he was on top of the world. But when all of that was taken away, the testimony of scripture is that he had the gall, the poison of bitterness that came into his life. I can think even of Hebrews 12, and I believe it's verse number 15. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness, when it comes into our life, poisons really everything that we touch because our words have been poisoned because what's inside of us, the well that we draw our words from is poisoned with bitterness, that we want something from someone else. Bitterness can be for many different reasons, but oftentimes it's we expected something from someone else 
that we didn't get. Sometimes it's praise. Sometimes it's if someone has wronged us, we had an expectation that they would do right towards us. And bitterness is really an unwillingness to give our burdens or our hurts or our desire to have our needs met by other people, a refusal to give that over to God. To say, God, I know that this person, I wanted this from them, or I wanted them to behave in this certain way, and they didn't, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to take that debt and put it in your hands and say, God, you take care of this. I can think of Romans 12 where it says uh, that we are to forgive other people realizing that the Lord is the one who will take vengeance. God will even the score. Our purpose is, hey, I'm going to give it to the Lord. It doesn't just mean that we forget about things that happen, but realize that harboring bitterness or a hatred or this unending desire for other people to correct the wrongs in our life or in our heart is not the way to go. Instead, give it over to the Lord and realize that he is the just one. He is the one that we can rely on for justice. So where is our identity found? Contrasted with how Simon had wrapped up his entire identity in being some great person who could do all of these cool miracles, we see Philip, really wherever he goes, does not care about himself. He is always caring about others. When we first meet him in chapter six, what's he doing? He's helping out the widows of his own people group that were looked down on by other people. He could have said, man, if these, if these Christians aren't taking care of the Grecian Jews, then why would I want to be a Christian why would I want that? Instead, we see that he is full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, full of good character. And he says, I don't care if my people have been mistreated. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be, in a good, be found in a good way. When his friend Stephen was killed, he didn't say, man, if God was really good, then Stephen wouldn't have died. I, I give up on it all. He said, hey, I'm going to continue to serve God. I'm going to continue to preach the word wherever I go. He went to the group of people that were even more hated than the Grecian Jews. He went to the Samaritans. He went from the people that were ignored by the true Jews and by the rest of the Christians. And then he went to the dogs and he preached the gospel to them. And it didn't matter uh, that this persecution that happened that he had to leave Jerusalem, he said, I'm just gonna keep on serving God. I'm just gonna keep spreading the gospel. Right after this passage, uh, God calls him away to give the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And even though there was a great miracle, a great revival that was happening in Samaria, he said, if God wants me to go, I'm gonna go because it's not about me. Every time we see Philip, he's wronged every step of the way. Horrible things are happening to him at every possible step. But it doesn't matter because his identity wasn't found in him as a Grecian Jew. It wasn't found in him as a friend of Stephen. It wasn't found in him as the great preacher of Samaria. Uh, wherever he went, 
He was known for one thing, and it was spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to those around him. Where is your identity found? If we find our identity in anything other than Jesus, it will ultimately fail us. If we try and build our identity on our families, families will fail us, they'll let us down. If we try and build our identities on jobs, one day we will get too old and we won't be able to have the jobs that we once did. Anything other than founding our life and our identity on Jesus will lead to heartbreak. But founding our identity on Jesus means that nothing can shake it. Because nothing's going to happen to Jesus. He's fine. And so when we build on his foundation, we are safe. Are you following Jesus or following praise? Uh, Here you have Simon. At one point, it says that he was continuing with Philip. He was traveling kind of with him in the city and following him around and, and learning more about Jesus But when the chance came to get more praise or adulation or greater authority, Simon jumped on it. And at that moment, he wasn't following Jesus or following Philip. He was following praise. He was following that position. Question for us, are we following Jesus or are we following praise? Uh, For many of us that would be here on a Thursday night, uh, man, the tough thing for us is that we can go through a lot of motions going, man, if I come to church tonight and, uh, and I look real good, if I look like Leo and I'm looking real good and I, I got my big old Bible and I got, you know, my fancy dress shirt on, uh, man, Jim's going to think I'm some great, I'm, I'm great stuff. But we do what we do. We, we come to church not for the praise of other people that I shouldn't come to church because it's my job. Uh, I feel like pastor might be sad if I didn't show up tonight. Uh, But I shouldn't come to church to be like, oh yeah, pastor expects me to be there and so I should be there. No, I need to be following Jesus. And if people are like, oh yeah, that's a real nice, uh, I I wore this shirt tonight in honor of Fountain Senior. Uh, But uh, it it doesn't matter if someone's like, oh man, that's a real nice shirt you got on. uh, Or man, that's a real nice Bible you have or something. We don't do what we do for the praise of men. Instead, we do it to follow and to love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. The question is bitterness taking root in our lives. Uh, Are there things in our heart and in our life, maybe people or situations that we are harboring uh, this deep-seated desire of, I'm not going to give this to God. And uh, man, I think of the prayer of David in Psalm 139 is one that we should pray constantly. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In our hearts and lives, there are things, there are people, there are circumstances that often we hold on to and say, I'm not gonna give this over to God. Because our fear is, if we give it to God, God won't take care of it. But God is the very definition of justice. God is the very definition of love and truth. And we can trust him to take care of whatever situation, whatever relationship, whatever thing comes into our life. We don't have to harbor a fear of, is God going to take care of this? Give it to God. Don't let a root of bitterness take hold in your heart. 
It's going to spill out into everything else in your life. And then are you willing to follow God regardless of circumstance? Uh, man, I think of Philip in all of this, that wherever he went, he was telling people about Jesus, no matter how many things went wrong in his life. Are we willing to do the same? Uh, we aren't going through, many of us, hardly any of the things that Philip was going through. And yet, sometimes we think, man, it's, it's really hard to be a Christian. Man, if Philip could go through all of these different things, all of these different events and say, I'm going to tell people about Jesus and I'm going to love God and I'm going to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that should motivate us. Whatever we go through, whatever hardship comes our way, we can trust, know, and follow God. The pain of pursuing praise is when we try and get things from other people, they'll eventually let us down, and then that can lead to bitterness in our own lives. When we're not looking to get things from other people, and instead, like Philip, seeking to give to other people, give them the gospel, uh, as he did to the, the Grecian widows, uh, you know, help them out when you're trying to help people and serve people and love people and give them the gospel, and you're not trying to just get from them, then there won't be the same thing that happened with Simon, where he was so used to taking from people, taking praise, taking money, taking position and authority. Then when all of that was gone, then there was this bitterness that showed up in his life. Are we going to choose to find our identity in other people or in things or in circumstances? Or are we going to find our identity in Jesus alone? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.